Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. Welcome back to our listeners to the next session in James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is a continuation of the previous session. So as we talk about faith and trials, in terms of the context of what James is talking about in the opening portion of his letter, we find wisdom, hope, and strength in the character and the nature of God. And God calls us to trust in Him or have faith as we come to Him expectantly, even in the midst of trials and suffering. And soon He will talk about our need in times of temptation. So to continue this idea of faith and defining faith that pleases God, I want to give you a quote of another person. His name is Art Azuria. Art is a Reformed preacher, and he's been restored from sexual immorality in his past. He says this about faith. Is faith an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it? A holy hoping for the best? Authentic faith is the confident assurance and events not yet seen. Faith is not a call to believe in the things when common sense tells you not to. It is not a crossing of the fingers and hoping for the best. Rather, Art says, it's a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought. Thought upon what? God and his promises. If you are absolutely gripped by the coming realities that have been promised to you by God, then how you live your life in the present will be radically different than if you did not possess that certainty. This is what faith really is, positive certainty expressed in action. Authentic faith, Art says, is not merely believing God, it is believing God, taking God at his word, living in obedience because of who he is, because you know down deep in your bones, that God will always do what he says, that his speaking is his doing. Do you wish to be a more consistently obedient, steadily persevering Christian? Then you need to strengthen your faith. Art continues and says, your faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the object of your faith. You expand your understanding of the object of your faith and faith itself will obediently follow. The object of our faith, the object of your faith, if indeed you are a Christian, is Jesus Christ and all of his promises. When Jesus becomes progressively bigger, or better yet, your understanding of who he is progressively conforms to reality, your faith will become increasingly stronger. But how does this happen? by immersing yourself in the faith-arousing Word of God. Read of Jesus Christ. The same powerful Word that long ago brought the universe to life is the same Word that can bring you to life and furnish you with a faith that is truly, authentically Christian." Tories and Azurdia's points here about faith are profoundly important for the modern Christian as we face trials, temptations, and even difficulty. 
Do we know what Jesus has promised us? And do we trust that these things are true? Do we truly know the character and nature of God? Who God is and what he is doing in our lives and in the world? Do we live in a manner when we encounter testing, suffering, and trials that we live by faith and hope in a person, the person of Jesus Christ? Again, we just heard your faith instinctively strengthens in direct proportion to the expansion of the objects of your faith. If you expand your understanding of the object, Jesus Christ, of your faith, and faith itself will then obediently follow. This is the very thin but powerful line between joy and wisdom or despair and discouragement amidst our circumstances. This is exactly, I believe, what James is addressing with his audience over 2,000 years ago. What's apparent and obvious is that James's audience were experiencing testing from God through the suffering and trials from the hands of others, and most likely some from others who claim to be followers of Christ. In this, there are two audiences he primarily addresses in, in the book. Those experiencing the suffering and those quite possibly perpetuating or causing the suffering. Granted, no doubt, there was definitely suffering that was caused by external secular sources as well in the context. But for the purposes of James' concentration and what he highlights, it seems to be those who profess Christ are suffering, and those who profess Christ through their sin are actually contributing to that suffering. It's a very profound and important point of the book. These trials and suffering were coming in the form of the tongue and anger of others. They were gossiping and slandering one another. They had a selfishness and arrogance that came from a love for money and even position. Their suffering and their trials also came as they were perpetuating that unto others from discriminating against others and even an extreme Lack of kindness and charity seem to be prevalent amongst them. These are the issues in their context. The dominant issues don't seem to be things of immorality, adultery, or sexuality, at least as the primary issues. Rather, they were issues that seem to be more acceptable sins, even in our day. Sins of pride and arrogance, comfort, materialism, even the sin of idolatry and judgmentalism, evil speech, and partiality. Personally, these things hit too close to home for me. Have we, as modern Christians, fallen prey to the lure of such things that we don't see them for what they are? I'm compelled to challenge all of us with these difficult realities in today's context of our modern Christianity. The answer to addressing such issues is the realization that the focus and motivation of our faith and how we live is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As we regard him, as we love him, as we follow his example, we're better equipped to really live out true religion according to James. I'm looking forward to exploring these things in more detail later in our study of James. But for now, we need to address James's teaching on trials. So the issue of trials, where do they come from? 
Why do we experience them? How should we respond to them? Where is God amidst our trials? Is there a purpose to the suffering and difficulty that trials inevitably bring? Can God be good and still allow suffering in those he loves? So these are the very things and foundational truths that James uses to address their suffering and their trials. James says in chapter 1 verse 3, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect effect, so that you will be perfect and complete, not deficient in anything. I can't help but immediately think about what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, that since we have peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ, we, chapter 5 verse 3 in Romans, it says, also rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You see, also in 1 Peter, Peter says, Although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials, such trials show the proven character of your faith, which is much more valuable than gold. Gold that is tested by fire, even though it is passing away, and will bring praise and glory and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Quoted from 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 3 through 7. It is clear that God is very intentional in allowing us to go through trials, even at the hands of unrighteous people or the sin of other Christians, in conforming us to Christ to prepare us for Christ. Peter expresses this conformity and likeness to Jesus as maturity and completeness in our Christianity. So how do we grow? How do we become better equipped to follow what God has for us in this life? We grow in endurance and strength as we pursue God amidst our difficulty. Maturity in Christ usually won't happen without trials and difficulty. This process shapes us to be more like Christ. To experience a bit of what Christ experienced, yet he still remained focused on the heart and will of the Father. We hope in God. We build character in Christ's likeness. We experience the heart of God by enduring and loving others, even when others don't deserve it. In fact, we understand God's love for us when we give grace to others when they don't merit it. We walk with God in our suffering despite our suffering for his glory. That is the message of James to his audience. Now, I don't think the idea here is to be happy about our suffering, but to rejoice and have a joy in the reward of being used by God for his glory. And as we're used by God for his glory, we greatly benefit from the intimacy and strength we experience as our circumstances push us to God and we wait for the fulfillment of our salvation in the return of Christ. Essentially, we get God. Jesus modeled this during his time on earth. Paul modeled this during his time on earth. Peter modeled this during his time on earth. James encouraged his audience to model this. We should follow the same example today. A key verse in this section is James chapter 1, verse 6, 
But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed around by the wind. This is the first of many literary word pictures that James will use in his letter to connect with his readers in a more practical manner. He wants his readers to be able to imagine spiritual and non-tangible realities that are important to God to be lived out in everyday physical realities. In other words, he uses tangible references to the physical and natural world so that we may connect better with the spiritual realities of our lives in Christ. In this particular word picture, James refers to the erratic, ever-changing, never-settling, always shifting waves of the sea that are so willingly and easily pushed around by the powerful winds. The waves have no order, no stability, and don't really know where they're going. They're simply aimlessly pushed around in the vast space of the sea, seldom able to settle. James wants his readers to be able to grab onto the reality that if we don't believe in God and trust God in what he says and what he promises, then how can we expect to benefit from them? We can't hold on to the illusion that we can control the circumstances and outcomes of our lives or hold on to the comfort, resources, and strategies of the world and surrender to God and trust him at the same time. These realities are incompatible with one another. This is being double-minded, as James would say in verse 8. As a double-minded person is wavering, uncertain, doubtful, and divided in their interests and thinking, we are the waves and our suffering, trials, and temptations are the wind. Are these things causing such instability in our lives that we turn to anger, resentment, despair, doubt, or even modern self-help-based techniques and comforts that we look to to bring us clarity, hope, and strength amidst the difficulties of life. As a result, we wander aimless through the sea of life being tossed back and forth. We're adrift, discouraged, and full of fear. This is not the will or blessing of God. This is the tool of Satan. This is the way that the world thinks and lives. This, in fact, is the old life in our flesh that we lived when we were dead in our sin and without God. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.